black, proud, independent, determined, educated, resilient, compassionate, batty, funny, quirky, unique, creative, thoughtful, sincere, loyal, gutsy, vibrant, resourceful, imaginative, engaging, fabulous, awesome. Those are all words that describe me, the Brick City Brown Chick. Welcome to my podcast, What I Know Now. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode one of the podcast, What I Know Now. I am your host, the Brick City Brown Chick, and I'll be coming to you every week. New episodes will be released on Thursdays. So if you listen to this episode and you find it something you enjoy, something you'd like to pass on to friends, I encourage you to please do that. And I look forward to seeing you every week. This week, our first episode is going to be about me. I'm going to dive into my background, where I come from, who my parents are, that kind of thing. So you have a better understanding of who I am and what this podcast is about. Because I think if you understand me, you'll enjoy the podcast much more. First, the name, my handle, Brick City Brown Chick. Brown Chick, well, that's pretty obvious, I would guess. Brick City refers to where I'm from. I'm a native of Newark, New Jersey, born and raised, spent the first 19 or so years of my life there. I love that city, will always be home for me. Uh, The name Brick City refers to uh, the housing projects that were built in Newark through the 1940s, 50s, 60s, and into the 70s as well. Most of them are gone now, but the name has stuck. So that is the explanation of my name, the Brick City Brown Chick. Where I come from, besides being a native of Newark, I have very deep roots in the Southern United States. Both of my parents were slash are from the South. I refer to my parents frequently in terms of past and present tense because my father has passed on and my mother is still alive. So that's the past and present. I'll talk about my father's life and his folks first. My father, M, which is how I'll be referring to him, was from a little town called Bainbridge, Georgia, which is not far from the Georgia-Florida border. That's where he grew up. He had uh, between 10 and 12 siblings. I don't remember the exact number because some of them had passed on already before I was really old enough to know them. 
His mother died very early in his life. I guess he was five or six. She died in childbirth. And so he was raised by my paternal grandfather and my grandmother's mother. So my paternal's great grandmother, whose name was Bessie. And I know that part because that was one of the names my father had on the list for me. But I have a cousin who is two years older than me on his side of the family whose name is Elizabeth. And he thought those two names would be too close. So I'm very grateful for my cousin Beth's existence because Bessie's a name I'm not sure would suit me all that well. My father and mother are from the silent generation. There's a lot of talk these days about Gen Z, Gen X, Millennials, Gen Alpha, and Boomers. Before all those generations are the silent generation. These are people that were born from the late 1920s to the early 1940s before World War II. So this is the pre-World War II generation. They're called the silent generation for various reasons, but mostly because they are the generation that just sort of sucked it up and dealt with life as things came to them. So they lived through a lot more, I guess the word is strife, than most of us have. So my father um, decided he wanted to go to college. He went to Fort Valley State in Georgia, which I think is now Fort Valley University. And before he went there, he, like a lot of young men his age back then in the 1950s, decided to join the U.S. Army. He really wanted to get out of Jim Crow, Georgia, and all its uh, nasty rules about uh, separation of Black people and white people and how Black people were treated. So he really wanted out of that environment. So he joined the U.S. Army. And he ended up doing two tours in the Korean conflict, uh, which is not something he talked a lot about. And I understand a lot of soldiers from that generation don't talk about it very much. But one thing I clearly remember as a child is that our favorite TV show to watch together was MASH. And I didn't know for a long time why he loved MASH so much. But I found out toward the end of his life that that is what he did in the Korean conflict. He worked in a MASH unit. He was an army medic. And so he saw a lot of the um, horrors of war. And so that wasn't something he talked about, but he loved that show very dearly. And he always said it was a pretty accurate depiction in terms of the war front. So once he left the military, he went to Fort Valley State, graduated with his degree in education. And after having, you know, seen other parts of the world and how people were treated, he decided that spending his life in the South was not going to work for him. So he left Georgia permanently as an adult and moved to New Jersey, which is where he met my mother, B. My mother, B, 
who will be 90 years old this year, uh, led a similar life to my father in terms of growing up in the rural South. She grew up in a town called Fuquay, Verena, which is near Raleigh in North Carolina. Uh, she's the oldest of 10 children. And my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, were sharecroppers. And if you don't know what a sharecropper is, uh, you need to expand your vocabulary. But what it is, is people who farm land owned by other people. So this was a very popular practice in the Jim Crow South. So my grandparents were sharecroppers and they farmed tobacco. And all 10 of their children grew up picking tobacco. So my mother decided at a very early age that she was not staying there because that was not going to be her life. And she was very encouraged by my grandmother. My grandmother had six daughters and she encouraged all of her daughters to go to college, get their education and be what they wanted to be, go out into the world and do their thing. So my mother went to North Carolina Agricultural and Technical University, which is called North Carolina A&T. She got her teaching degree. Uh, she minored in French and she taught in a town called Fayetteville, North Carolina, which a lot of older people know as Vietnam because uh, I think they closed one of the bases, but there used to be an Air Force base, a Naval base, and an Army base in Fayetteville. So it was called Vietnam uh, because it was full of soldiers. There were always soldiers around there. So she taught there for a couple of years and then also decided that she was not living her life in the Jim Crow South and she was ready to go. So she moved to New Jersey and that is where my parents met. My parents were married in December, 1960, and I came along in July, 1970. Now people always do that math and go, you don't have any siblings, it's just you. Correct, it's just me. Uh, my parents were planners, obviously. Uh, they wanted to, first they wanted to enjoy married life as two married people and have a good time and go to shows. They went to the Apollo a lot. They went to movies, they had costume parties. My parents kind of did it all. And so by the time they were really ready to settle down into children, they were well into their thirties. Uh, my mother was 36 when I was born. My father was 38. And people don't really uh, wonder about men too much in these situations, but with women, it's always an interesting question. Um, I was born in 1970, as I said, my mother was 36 and her doctor, her GYN, thought she might be a little out of her mind having her first child at that age because back then that was not a thing. Uh, People say the words teenage mother today like it's a foreign concept, but most mothers used to be teenage mothers. Um, people got married earlier. My grandmother, her mother got married at 16. So that was not unusual. 
but because my parents had wanted to be settled, they wanted to have purchased a house and, and have all the things they needed, I was not born until 10 years into their marriage. And I'm an only child, and being an only child is a huge part of who I am um, because that was unusual for the 1970s. Practically everybody I went to school with, everybody I knew had at least one sibling and in many cases, three or four, but it was just me and my parents were good with that. Was I a good child? Yes, I was a good child. I was not the rule breaker child. I wasn't trying to sneak out and go places and things like my parents never had to come pick me up from anywhere or post any bond or anything like that. Was I an easy child? Absolutely not. <laughs> my, uh, most of my cousins are significantly older than me. And by significant, I mean, 10 to 15 years. So though my mother was the oldest and my father was probably in the middle of his group of siblings, they, because they waited so long to have children, most of their younger siblings had their kids and their kids were teenagers when I was born. So I came into a family of adults and near adults, people who were in their mid to late teens or getting ready to go to college, things like that. So being in that environment made me a very observant kid, uh, made me a kid who always listened to conversations and situations. And also that made me a smart kid. And smart kids are tricky to raise because you appreciate that they're smart and you want them to be smart, but you don't want them to, you know, know all the things about the world before they're at an age to handle it. Um, so I was not easy and, and I can, now that I'm in my fifties, I can cop to that. When I was younger, I would say, I don't know what my mother was always talking about, about how difficult I was and this, that, and the other thing. But now I get it. I honestly do. So uh, one thing about my parents is they were very much, uh, their parenting style was very much in the vein of, we will trust you until you show us we can't or shouldn't. And I was always the kid who was like, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna lose my privileges or the trust I've earned doing terrible things. So I was always the kid who, you know, got A's and B's and did what they were supposed to and things like that. Where my, where I had conflict with my parents, especially with my mother, was being a very independent person. And it was tricky because my mother was the oldest of 10. She was very independent. She was very much... Uh, she was going to do things her way. But because I was an only child, I was also that person. I was independent and going to do things my way. So that made us butt heads about certain things. And an example that really just jumps out at me is my mother wanted me to be a cheerleader. 
Now you can probably tell from my disposition and the sound of my voice that perky isn't part of my vocabulary. It's not something I am or ever was. So the fact that she wanted me to be a cheerleader was just sort of beyond my comprehension, but that's what she wanted. So my last two years of grade school, seventh and eighth grade, I did become a cheerleader and pretty much hated every minute of it. And toward the end of eighth grade, during practice, not that this was intentional, it absolutely was not, I fell and twisted my ankle very, very badly, like to the point where I had to sit out the rest of the year, I had to go to physical therapy, it was a long drawn out situation. And so by the time I got to high school, I was done with it. And my mother was just irritated that I was not gonna continue my cheerleading journey. But what I explained to her was I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't fun. I didn't wanna do it anymore. But that was kind of, you know, one, one of those headbutting situations. So it's not that my mother and I butted heads about you know, things like drugs or drinking or sort of the issues that go on today, we butted heads about, okay, I was going to be on this team and not that team. I wanted to, to be on the newspaper and write for the literary magazine instead of being on the cheerleading squad and the tennis team. So it was, it was that kind of situation. Something interesting I hear from a lot of kids these days is the whole dialogue with their parents and talking back to their parents. That's not something I ever did. Uh, that That's definitely not a black Gen X trait. It's just not. Black mothers from a certain generation do not tolerate that at all. So even when I could be in a heated uh, discussion with my mother about a situation, I have never called her out her name because I wouldn't be alive right now. Uh, I've never talked back to her, never swore to her. I would think things very, very heavily, but I would never say them because I knew better. Um, so I think that also is something that makes me different when I am in a store and I see kids talking back to their mother I just sort of shudder and shake my head and think that never would have flown in my house. Absolutely not. Uh, in terms of uh, my relationship with my dad, I was always a daddy's girl. Um, and I think that just came from um, something I learned very early in my life is that from my relatives is that, you know, when my mother was pregnant, that my mother, uh, my mother wanted a boy and my father wanted a girl. So I think it was just sort of the natural, I gravitated toward him because he, he gave off a different vibe. Uh, I spent a lot of time hanging out with him and his brothers. A lot of them lived near us. They would come over and, and talk and smoke cigars and work on cars. And so I spent a lot of time with them as a kid um, one of my fondest memories of my father was when I was about five, he and like three of his brothers were on our front porch, just sort of sitting around talking and drinking beer. 
and my father said, uh, do you want to taste this? And I was like, oh, sure, why not? Now, at that age, I really had no concept of what beer was, but I tasted it and was like, this is horrible. I really don't know why, what you all see in drinking this. And so that took the curiosity about alcohol out of it for me. And so I really did not drink until I became of legal age. And even then, and even now, more than 30 odd years past legal age, I may have a, gl a glass of champagne like Thanksgiving, New Year's, and my birthday. And that's pretty much it. Excuse me. <coughs> Ooh, sorry about that. Allergies are bothering me. It's January, so I can only imagine what the spring's going to be like. Uh, so I was talking about my dad. Uh, my dad uh, passed away from esophagus cancer when I was 17. And as you can imagine, that was a super traumatic event time. Uh, I was a senior in high school. He died in February. I was, you know, planning out my college life and getting ready for the prom and graduation and all those things. And when he died, all those things suddenly seemed really not important or not as important as they had been. I did all those things, but I couldn't really tell you about most of them. They're kind of blank. It all kind of happened and then it was over. Um, since his death, uh, and we'll talk about this in a later episode when we talk about loss. Um, what I always say to people who lose a parent they were close to is that uh, it never goes away. I think people hope after the initial like sadness and pain of death that the painful part goes away. It doesn't. What does happen though, is that the memories, the good memories become stronger. So the longer you live, the stronger, the good memories stand out, but that doesn't mean the pain of the loss ever completely goes away. Um, so as I said, my mother will be 90 this year. Uh, she never remarried. She did have a boyfriend for several years, which when you're in college and your mother has a boyfriend and you don't, yeah, it's pretty weird. <laughs> but she had a boyfriend for several years and then he passed on and then she decided she wanted to move back to Raleigh. She wanted to be around. She has three or four siblings who still live in that area. And so she retired after a 40 year teaching career, which is just remarkable to me. Uh, she retired, left New Jersey, bought a house in North Carolina, and that's where she is today. So we'll be celebrating her birthday here in a couple of months, and I'm sure that birthday party will be an episode because it's been very interesting living in Maryland and trying to plan a party in North Carolina because for some reason the Deep South does things differently and yeah it's definitely been an experience um so that is my background as the only child of older silent generation parents i hope that's given you some insight into me and 
how I think about things and a little bit of my humor. And that's what you're going to get with this podcast. I'm very uh, honest. Uh, Sometimes my mother will say too honest or more accurately, she says I'm a pessimist. And it's pretty funny because my husband, who is genuinely a pessimist, always says, you're the optimist in this relationship, so uh, if we're going to get XYZ done, you're going to have to uh, be the person who can get us through that. So it's just funny getting those opposite viewpoints from the two people I'm closest to in my life. Um, so yeah, it it just makes me laugh because I think, no, I think I'm just a realist. I don't think either of you are right. I'm not the pessimist or the optimist. I'm just the realist. I've lived long enough and dealt with enough people to just be real about how things are going to turn out. So that's my opinion of myself. Uh, I'm sure over time you all will have thoughts and comments and you'll either come down on his side, her side, or my side. Uh, It's like the old saying, there are three sides to every story, his side, her side, and the truth. (laughs) I think this is something like that. So I am really looking forward to this. Uh, Starting this podcast has really been like giving birth to a baby, and I've never given birth to a baby, but that's what this has been like. Uh, It's been a lot of stops and starts and equipment issues and timing and mood and frustration and all those sorts of things. So I'm so glad to be starting this podcast. I'm so glad to have you on this journey with me. Again, like I said at the beginning, if you enjoy this podcast, if you think someone else you know will enjoy it, please pass it along and look forward to your thoughts and your feedback in the comments. Uh, Episode two is going to be about the podcast itself, what it is, what we're going to talk about, and sort of house rules so that everybody knows uh, how we're going to do things here. So I look forward to you joining me on this journey, and thank you for being here from the very beginning. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.